How do I want to solve it? Does it require a smart person? Does it require a smart person that just doesn't work for us? Or does it warrant a smart AI for that particular purpose? And the, the post that I did recently used Poe, which is basically just a, a bot platform. You can feed the context into multiple bots. So the one I created was an Excel formula bot. You know, um, wasn't perfect, but it was it was good for a use case. But you could then have, you know, financial benchmarking bot. You know, you could have financial decision sounding board bot. Do, do you see what I mean? And then immediately you've got three tabs up in your browser whereby as soon as you've got a task to carry out and a problem to solve, you can just go to the bot that's trained for that use case. So, so if we try to zoom in a bit more on the on, on the artificial intelligence piece, I mean, how do you how do you see this impacting or already having have impacted the, the finance function? Can you give maybe a few examples of, of how you see it? Yeah, so if we, if we maybe go back a, a few years to AI before generative AI, everybody used to talk about algorithms, you know, so we can connect our data to a machine learning algorithm and we can do all of this cool predictive stuff, right? And that's, that's not new. You know, a lot of businesses haven't even got to that level of predictive analytics yet, A, because they don't have enough data to feed it or B, just because, you know, they're struggling to find use cases, which always comes back to, you know, you've got a problem to solve for. So my feeling is that with some of the AI we've seen before is that a lot of people don't know about the capability or it's been difficult to implement or they've just not found the use case for it because they can use Excel to do a bit of modeling or they can use a dedicated FB&A tool, which could have some sort of you know machine learning algorithm built into it. So in terms of that older AI, adoption rates were, I guess, pr pretty low unless you were kind of like an enterprise organization that had a dedicated data team, dedicated IT team supporting that and, and all that sort of thing. But with all technologies, we see a shift whereby that tool becomes more accessible to smaller businesses and more people. And that's that's what we're seeing at the moment because obviously ChatGPT is, is accessible to, to everyone, right? But with, I guess, an ERP slant, before generative AI, there was still an element of AI that was being built into some tools. So we look at Power BI, uh, had the data Q&A, you know, which was basic when it was first released, but you could use text to say, you know, produce me a chart, you know, that follows these parameters or find me this data, you know, so you could Q&A using text there. So, so that's not new. Embedded in ERPs, I mentioned the Dynamics example, whereby you could, you know, scrape the text off an email and get dynamics to create an order for you. So again, that's that's an AI use case specifically for, for finance. And I always remember, again, and this was coming back to the to the demos, right? The mind blown moment was somebody emailing me saying, can I have an update on this invoice? And then being able to click on the invoice number and have it take you straight to the invoice in the ERP. To me, that was a game changer. I absolutely loved that. And it helped me sell a lot of software. And then more recently, we, we've, we've got more advanced AI that's built into uh, the server infrastructure, some of these multi-tenant tools. And, and we don't need to get into to the technical side of things, but if you are on a cloud solution that has automatic updates, chances are that's on a large server infrastructure, either like Microsoft Azure or Amazon Web Services or, or fill in the gaps. But this enables software vendors to enable AI within that base database. So whether it's Sage, you know, Oracle, Dynamics, or whatever it happens to be, you've got the ability to start building in these algorithms to the core data. So one example would be we're doing in Sage space. So there's a GL outlier detection. And all it is, is an algorithm that trawls through historic data when it comes to month end. And you need to do, you know, those corrections that are a pain because you're trawling through loads of data to check that everything matches up. Outliers will just 
you know, pinpoint the anomaly and say, look, this requires your attention. You can forget about the rest because they look okay. So that's a real life use case. Tarek Munir, uh, who's one of the senior finance guys, you've probably seen him on LinkedIn, PepsiCo, had him on the podcast. When he was delving into data science and doing all of his sort of Python and, and, and AI training back in the day, he effectively emulated that himself manually before it started being built into all of these tools. So he actually built his own GL outlier detector, which I was really impressed with. So check, check him out if you've got the time. And then obviously moving further forwards, you've now got generative AI. And for me, this is where everything changes because instead of being reliant on a business to use AI, i.e. the only way I can use AI is if I either have developer knowledge or I've got it built into the tools that I use every day. I can now have an individual AI that's working on my behalf. Yeah. Again, data protection, anonymize your data. I'll always say that sort of stuff. But to be able to have something like ChatGPT open in a tab for you to just, you know, essentially use it as a finance assistant to ask questions or to validate formulas or to produce VBA code or whatever, that sort of stuff, it immediately makes it more accessible to the individual, not just the business. And that's what I'm seeing more and more of is not just the adoption from a business perspective, but people at an individual level to now be able to say, right, I have this issue that I want help with, or this is something that personally I want to speed up. I now have the tools available. So a long answer to a short question, but hopefully that answers it for you. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, what I've been saying for a while is because I see a lot of, for instance, finance professionals that want to learn to, to code and really build stuff themselves, you know, it could be the simple stuff of SQL, just be able to query and get some numbers from a database. But I'm like, why invest in actually developing these skills for yourself when we know that the low-code, no-code movement is going to build these apps and tools for us? Then, you know, ChatGPT is, is, is okay, it's, it's probably pushing limits to say it's a simple example. But if you, if you look at the user interface, it's extremely simple, right? And you can just write some, some queries and you could probably have built something if you are coding master that could scrape off of Google or whatever and then give you something something similar. But why investing developing these skills yourself unless you really want to be a you know a tech not a tech expert, of course, then you should. But if you're in finance, I just don't see the idea or the, or the benefit because these tools, they're coming our way and they'll be coming faster than you can build it uh, build them yourself. And because it's the it's the best experts in the world building them, then you can't, just can't beat it. So I really, you know, I'm really just trying to encourage finance professionals to say, you know, Forget about learning all the coding. I mean, yeah, sure, you will probably get some benefits out of it, especially in the short term. But in the long run, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to get the benefits that you actually have to put in in terms of time and resources to actually learn this stuff. And that's that's just my personal opinion. But I'm so I'm hearing you sort of at least swaying in that in that direction. Maybe I'm taking words out of your mouth. I don't know, but you spoke a bit about the generative AI, of course, which is definitely one of the hardest bots buzzwords today. You mentioned a little bit about it. You're going to be try to be a bit more specific in terms of how you see finance professionals using this to, to their advantage. Yeah. So the quickest wins are sort of general admin that involves anything text-based. And, and that's what we've got to bear in mind. Originally, when these large language models were released, they wouldn't allow us to produce visualizations or connect to other apps or do anything like that. So it was very isolated. But if you wanted to write a document, so, you know, write me a job spec for a financial controller, you've got your baseline within seconds. Yeah. If you are doing a report to senior management, you know, give me a framework for a one page summary based on this context segmented into whatever, and then you've got your structure, you know, so, so, so that's, that's one area. 
more relating to text-based or supporting maybe presentations that you're putting together. So, so that's one thing that I saw originally before we had the latest iteration with the likes of Code Interpreter and, and some of the plugins, right? Fast forward a little bit, when you start moving into more of the FPNA stuff, um, and, and Glenn, again, Glenn Hopper, check him out. He's, he's the AI and finance master at him on the podcast. He first created his own FPNA tool with ChatGPT pre-plugins and code interpreter. Yeah. And, and he did that with the massive brain that he has just by taking, you know, the excerpts of code that it spat out and obviously using um, his own development tools to, to put it all together. But now with plugins, you could connect ChatGPT to Notable, which is, which is a tool that I'd recommend. Similar to Google Colab, it's a, a, a Jupyter notebook, but you can use ChatGPT to give Notable instructions. So very simply, you upload your data to Notable, again, anonymized. Notable is probably a bit more secure than just uploading to ChatGPT, so it's at least a, a level up. And then you can use ChatGPT to tell Notable what you want to do with the data. And this is when we go from simple text into visualizations. So one of the posts that I did inspired by Glenn was, you know, how I created my own FPA and a tool in whatever the time frame it took me to do is I essentially scraped a load of data from finance system anonymized. So I think it was just a purchase ledger, you know, just months and months worth of transactional information. I uploaded it by CSV and then I used ChatGPT to do a couple of bits. So, you know, produce me some visuals based on supplier spend, you know, so essentially who am I? you know, paying the most money from my supplier. So it's simple stuff, right? You can do it in Power BI, you know, even in, you know, sort of a, a pivot chart in Excel, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, so that's not particularly groundbreaking. But then being able to ask ChatGPT, what would you recommend to visualize this data? And this is the biggest win that I've found is because we, with our experience and our knowledge of Excel or, or whatever it happens to be, we only know what we know. Yep. Yeah. And unless we're best friends with a data analyst that we can just call up and say, oh, I've got this, this data, you know, would you recommend, you know, a scatter graph or, you know, whatever it happens to be, you can just say, what are some of the best visual mechanisms for visualizing this data? And it'll come back with suggestions, but it's so quick. You can, you can try, you know, you get the preview of the visualization, you just keep going until you get the output that you want. So in terms of speed of being able to produce those visualizations, we're not into faffing with data anymore. You know, the tools will sanitize and pick up the data that's relevant to the visualization for you. So your thought process immediately is just to what's the output that I want to produce. So that was a really good scenario. But coming back to what I mentioned earlier, when we talk about more traditional AI models, where you've got machine learning algorithms, where you can then do the future focused stuff. I also then went on to saying, right, well, forgetting about data that exists from the history you've got. Can you give me a prediction of the next 12 months as to how you think that spend is likely to change? And again, my, my data wasn't anywhere near rich enough to produce any sort of decent output, but for illustrative purposes, it went really well because again, you didn't have to have, you know, a clever modeling tool, you know, you could literally just get a, a benchmark of, right, well, this is what a reasonably smart algorithm is saying could be our supplier spend in the coming 12 months. And that was all done with ChatGPT tied to Notable. Of course, you can now do it with Code Interpreter, but the disadvantage of Code Interpreter is it's static data. Something like Notable, you could actually feed in live data from, you know, SQL database or wherever you've got that, that data housed, like a snowflake for a data warehouse. Interpreter, you'll achieve the same ends. You don't have quite as much power, but you still got some really quick wins in that scenario as well. So that's, that's on, I guess, the data and the visualization side of things. Now we're getting to the point where 
we can actually set context with these tools. Yeah. And that was the biggest gap. So when you look at my guides and my spices framework, the two first elements of the prompts that I've always instruct people to use is scenario and what was the, the P persona is what it was. Yeah. So the scenario is feed the language, large language model, the context of the query, you know, so you are working as a data analyst with a view of, you know, generating some supply spend analysis, whatever happens. And then the persona is you're a financial controller and you were tasked with all of this out and the other. Now with ChatGPT custom instructions and some of the other bot platforms that are available, you can preset all of that. So you don't have to be anywhere near as advanced with your prompts. And I think we are going to see iterations of that coming whereby we're not going to have to think so much about the context because we're going to have all of these different bots that are geared up for these specific narrow AI use cases, whereby you can just pick a bot for a certain purpose. And, and I do generally believe, and I haven't trademarked the term yet, but obviously insourcing is when we use the resource that we have of our employees, smart people that we want to make sure are shunted towards the, the high value production end of, of their day to day, right? You've got outsourcing, you know, using platforms like Upwork to find people to do stuff. You know, for me, a good use case for likes of Upwork is more of the creative stuff. Cause I still think some of the generative AI for visualizations, especially when it comes to that graphic design piece is a bit lacking, but I think we're then going to have the concept of AI sourcing. And again, I haven't trademarked it yet, <laughs> but people will come to a decision where they say, I've got this problem. How do I want to solve it? Does it require a smart person? Does it require a smart person that just doesn't work for us? Or does it warrant a smart AI for that particular purpose? And the, the post that I did recently used Poe, which is basically just a, a bot platform. You can feed the context into multiple bots. So the one I created was an Excel formula bot, you know, um, wasn't perfect, but it was, it was good for a use case. But you could then have, you know, financial benchmarking bot. You know, you could have financial decision sounding board bot. Do, do you see what I mean? And then immediately you've got three tabs up in your browser, whereby as soon as you've got a task to carry out and a problem to solve, you can just go to the bot that's trained for that use case. And that's where I see the market moving, whether it's one that you train yourself or whether it's an off the shelf, low code platform that you can adopt. So again, a, a long answer to a short question, but hopefully that helps. No, I mean, the, the passion is shining through and I'm, re I'm really loving you. I'm loving this, Adam. I, I said in the beginning, I hope to learn something and I'm definitely uh, already learning uh, learning a lot here and, and sparking a lot of ideas. You know, of course, today I'm, I'm also responsible for, for sales and marketing in our company. And, you know, we have, for instance, sales pipeline data going back to 2019. And then you compare that with your, your revenue data and then you can say, okay, upload those two things and say, based on the development in the pipeline and how it usually translates into revenue, what's going to be our, our budget for next year? I mean... It, and it should be better than we consider, you know, to say this, it should be X, Y, Z, right? A hundred percent. And just on the data anonymization piece, and we'll go on a bit of a sales tangent now. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> but obviously as, as part of my day job, I oversee sort of sales process at, at, at my company as well. And we use, we use HubSpot, you know, and yeah. I'm sure it'd be the same for, for a lot of other systems, right? We do too. Sure. Yeah, good. So, so yeah, you'll definitely learn something here. <laughs> um, so when you export data from HubSpot, what you get is alongside, if it's an individual first name, last name, email, and so on and so forth, is you get a record ID. Yeah. So if you're wanting to feed data into a chat GPT or a notable or whatever it happens to be, you can export that data. You can get rid of the first name, last name, and email address. You've still got the record ID. Yeah. And then you've got the non-sensitive data that could be stuff like, you know, industry, persona, do they work in finance operations or, or whatever it happens to be. If you feed that anonymized data into a large language model to get your predictions, 
you can say stuff like, find me the record ID that this points towards. Yeah. So even though you've taken the individual information out of the data, you can always find it because you've got the original or the record ID. So that's a way that you can tie it back by actually being able to find stuff that's relevant to a customer or an individual contact without having to put their data into a, into a large language model. So yeah, we can pick that up offline if you want me to, <laughs> to do that. But I did just that. So we've got a team, obviously we, you know, we make calls and we send emails and, and that sort of stuff. And some of the richest data that you'll get from a CRM system is stuff like call and email data, because the volumes are higher, right? You know, people can be making 50, hundred calls a day or sending 50, hundred emails a day. So before I did the finance use case on Noticeable, I did the sales use case. And the, the problem to solve was we don't know that we're contacting people at the right time. You know, are we wasting 80% of our time on the phone just yeah. because people aren't available to speak to us? So using Notable, I analyzed the call data and I found what times of day the pickup rates were best. And then we optimized our process around those times and our levels of connections went up. Yeah. So that's a real life use case of, of, of how that could be used. And it also means that you're then less reliant, less reliant on industry benchmarks because the default previously would be Google, you know, tell me what a good connection rate would be, you know, or tell me what the best times people pick up the phone are, but it's totally company specific. You can't apply yeah. a generalization to your specific business in your specific industry. You've got the data, just use it. And then we've got the tools that enable us to do it better. It's very fascinating and very, very exciting, I would say, but uh, maybe I'm the only one that thinks that if, or maybe you do as well, Aaron, so say it's really exciting. So. If you kind of were to give a black and white answer, would you say that finance professionals should fear for or be excited about the future of the finance function, considering everything that, that AI can do and technology in general? That is a really difficult question. Is black and white? <laughs> so I'm a bit scared personally, but then again, it's because I'm on the bleeding edge and I see a lot of stuff that, that other people don't. The black and white answer will be parts of jobs will be replaced guaranteed. But for good people, there will always be a good job, you know, and, and I always go back to, and I, people have told me it a couple of times, but nobody has ever complained about having more time exactly. you know? and, and, and that's what I hang my hat on. So yes, jobs will be replaced. If you're just keying invoices, guaranteed jobs are already being replaced with the technology that we've got already for people that are just keying invoices. I think for knowledge workers, we will see more of our jobs replaced. So we've just got to think about. What are the things that we can do as people that AI can't? Yeah, no, I, I saw this. I heard this, this stat that it was going to, let's say, we're going to destroy 70 million jobs, but it was going to create 90 million jobs, right? So the net, the net is a gain. But obviously, if you don't move, upskill, reskill within that space, then, of course, it's a net negative for you. But the potential of moving is, is there. And that's at least why I'm excited for, for the future of the finance function, even though it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. I mean, we, we deal with the human element of change every single day, and we're trying to push these finance professionals in the more, let's say, human people-oriented direction. And it's hard, right? It's hard because, and I, I ran a poll on LinkedIn on this some, some two years back or so, I asked, well, why did you go into finance in the first place? Was it because you like numbers or work with business or work with people? And to no surprise, only 10% said, because I like to work with people. But today, you know, because the transactional stuff is almost automated and then soon, you know, the forecast and the budget will be automated, right? And then what's left 
it's that human to human interaction where you're discussing, talking about how can we make things happen and following up with the execution team to how is it going? What are we learning? And then feeding that back. That's that's what the finance role is is today. But you know, and I've gone through this change journey myself. It took me 10 years to change and become good at it. And you know, today, I'm, of course, I'm not really in finance as per se anymore. But if you had told me just five years ago, hey, Anders, in five years, you're going to be sales and marketing responsible for a consulting company, I would have said, no way in hell, right? But that's the, that's the kind of move or upskill readiness that, that, that we need to have. Maybe not this extreme, but certainly think about, hey, you know, okay, this is going to come. It's going to take in full or part of my job. What am I excited about? What am I passionate about? And how can I use that to take a next step or take a next step to really, to, to really still be, be brilliant, I would say, right? I think that's, that's to me, it's, it's really, it's really key. But we're coming up towards the, the, the end that I'm here. So, you know, just, just, uh, you know, a final question before I'll say you say some famous five final words, if you have, do you think there's going to be a time where AI has completely replaced the need for people in the finance function? In some industries, yes. In others, no. And that's that probably the, the best answer I can I can give. I think in the those smaller businesses, for example, and we're seeing sort of the, the emergence of a of a fractional CFO, right? You know, the complexity of the business probably doesn't warrant a really big finance team. In which case some of the tools that we're seeing being developed will act as virtual CFOs. And then you might have a fractional CFO a CFO that's a human with experience that then supports that exercise, right? But I think more businesses are going to be able to self-serve from a finance perspective, and especially in non-complex businesses, right? I think for more complex businesses that have more moving parts, I don't think finance is ever going to be replaced. You know, I think there's too much expertise that we've gained as, as humans, and there's, you know, too much, for, uh, at least at the moment, an AI to, to comprehend. But, but who knows? You know, it's, it, it's always funny, you know, late at night, I ponder this, you know, can we imagine a world where, you know, we're the tools, you know, and the AI is the, is the director or the owner of the business or whatever it happens. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, we, we giggle about it a little bit, but I think these are, these are thought experiments we need to have. I think the question that everybody is going to need to ask themselves, not just in finance, but all over the place is what does it mean to be human? Yeah. And I think we're, I think we're still working it out. Yeah. So, but I think, I think if we can nail that down. And then set that in a finance concept. And then you're doing work about, you know, CFO 5.0 and all that sort of stuff. I think if we can nail down what it means to be human and have technology support that, I think, I think we're onto a winner. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big question there, but at least my, my, my simple, simple point is that, you know, tech plus human evil equals more than tech or human alone, right? Yes, so correct. And I think for, for any foreseeable future that that's going to be the case, you know, you can talk about hundred years in the future, but no one knows what's going to happen there anyway. So yeah. let's, let's focus on, you know, the next five, 10 years, and then, you know, make our sort of take a stand within that period, at least. But, but then um, uh, any, any final word of advice you'll give to, to all the finance professionals tuning in here from a, a technology perspective and how they can get the most out of it. Yeah. I mean, coming back to that future focus, you know, I think, you know, humans are wired for anxiety, myself included, right? Um, my, I feel like often my default state is anxious, right? And every day I'm having to train myself just to think about, you know, what can I do now? What will I enjoy now? And just focus more on that. So I think one bit of advice is to not try and place yourself too much into the future, because if you worry too much, it all affect your ability to make decisions in the moment. Right? So, so that's one bit of advice. When it comes to AI or maybe just technology in, in general, 
just keep a keep an keep an open mind. And in the the recent podcast I did with with Paul and Sloan on on FPNA today, we kind of echoed the point: have a play, you know, have a look at my content, you know, have a look at other people's content, you know, Nicola, uh, Christian Martinez, all of that sort of stuff. Find a tool that's really accessible, you know, low risk, and and just have a play, you know, whether it's document Q and A, whether it's some of the you know more elaborate data stuff that we've been talking about today, you know, and maybe spend half an hour a week on it, you know, and and the more that you have a look, the more you'll understand it's it's more exciting than scary at the moment. It will become more scary if you place yourself in five years' time. But for now, find something that's easy to use and just just get going with it. I think that's a really sound advice, Adam. And uh, thank you so much for being being on the show here on the podcast. I think I learned something. I got some uh, inspiration for things that uh, that we could probably do in our company. And you know, I've been 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 experimenting with ChatGPT for the past uh, three four months, and it's definitely supercharged my productivity to a level that I I would never have been able to do do on my own. And that's just one out of a million tools, right? So I, I fully echo that. You know test it out and get some learnings and then figure out how to, to use from there. Thanks so much, Adam. I really, truly do appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners will level too. So if you don't know Adam already, go follow Adam Shilton on, uh, on LinkedIn. Lots of great content coming out there every day on the tech and finance piece. And I'm definitely a follower and I'm also learning something every day. So Adam, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, see you out there. It's been an absolute pleasure, Anders. I really appreciate it. And, and again, for the early stage support, you guys were, were there from, from the very beginning. So I'll be forever grateful. So yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.